We're starting a new series of messages today. I'm really excited about it called Great Expectations. And what an original title for a message series, right? Great Expectations. I know it's not original at all because it comes from a book that was written many, many years ago by Charles Dickens. Some of you have heard it before. In fact, me just saying it probably gives some of you the shivers because you had to write some kind of book report about it maybe or something like that when you were in school. It's known as one of the greatest uh, pieces of literature uh, as as far as dealing with fiction uh, that's been written. And in the book, it it talks about or tells a story about a guy named Pip and basically the education of this man as he goes through his life. And there's some key themes that are talked about throughout this book. There's wealth and poverty, love and rejection, and also the eventual triumph of good over evil. And when I hear about the themes that are covered within that book, it sounds so much like our world that we live in today. And we need to learn how to live out our potential today when we see the wealth and the poverty that's taking place, the love and the rejection that we know that exists in our world. And we also know that there is evil and that there is good that is present. And we're supposed to live in all of that. My name's not Pip, my name is Tim, but I still gotta figure it all out, right? Whatever your name is, it's the exact same way. We've got to figure out how it is that we live our life in a world that is so diverse and there are so many ups and downs and there are so many struggles. Y'all, our world is messed up. Do I have a witness out there from anybody, right? It is just messed up, but God can use us in a messed up world to make a positive difference. Instead of being overcome by what we experience, we need to be people who are setting the example of how it is that we can live in the midst of what we go through in life. We see violence, we see war, we see political conflict that happens between each other, and there seems to be so much division. So how can I live in the midst of all of that? Well, today I wanna begin talking with you about how we live up to our potential and the expectations that we are to live up to to be able to live up to our potential. In fact, today I wanna share with you the most important expectation that we have. All of the other expectations we'll be learning in this series have to do with our being able to accomplish this expectation today. When we live up to this expectation today, the one that we'll be talking about, we see a successful life. We see how it is that we're to be in life. So what is the expectation? It's simply this, we're to be like Jesus. In everything, no matter what we face, we're to be like Jesus. I'm living up to my potential if I'm like Jesus, and if I'm not, I'm not living up to my potential. So what does it look like to be like Jesus. Well, I wanna share with you some scripture today found in the book of 1 John in chapter two, where John shared with us the importance of us being like him and living as he lives. So let's take a look at the scripture right now. 1 John chapter one, uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter two, beginning in verse one. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. 
But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. There it is. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John is really clear about how we're supposed to live. We're to live as Jesus lived. So we're going to be learning four truths today about how we do, do this and the importance of our doing it. Number one on your outline sheet, let's take a look at it. It's this, that our being like Jesus is the proof that we have a relationship with God. So how do people know that we have a relationship with God? It's we're like Jesus. This is where the whole hypocrisy thing, thing comes in in the Christian life and Christian community where people say that Christians are hypocrites because they ask, you say you're a Christian, but where is Christ in you? Christian has Christ within it. So if you're a Christian, where is Christ in you? What evidence are we giving that we really are people who belong to God, that we are people who are like Jesus? Well, we are to be like him, and we are like him when we follow the commands. It said this in verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what uh, he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. As Jesus followed the commands, we're to follow the commands. So what are the commands? Well, I want to share with you three commands that we are to follow today. We hear about these commands, some of them in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we're commanded to have this connection with God and to have a very, very strong passion for him. We see the scripture in Matthew chapter 22, which referred back to a command that, that God had given. It said this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This obviously, it's an Old Testament question, right? In the Old Testament, it says all this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we see the first commandment that we're to follow is simply this. We're to love God. So put that down on your outline sheet. Why would I love God? I'm commanded to love God, but why would I want to do that? Well, I love God because of how God loves me, because of what God does for me. God cares about me. God wants the best for me. God wants me to live up to my potential. God wants to protect me. God wants, wants me to have the best and God provides for me. God meets my needs. He does all of that because God cares about me and loves me. God is not some big cosmic killjoy who's after us and trying to make our lives miserable. That's what the devil wants you to think, but that's not true. God wants to protect us, 
provide for us and to promote us so that we can be our best. He loves us and does that for us. Those are the type of people that we fall in love with. Those are the people that we engage with and we find a connection with and we fall in love with. There's a second command though. It's not only just to love God, but it's to love others, right? The second command is like it. It said the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he said the second is like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. We're to love others. In other words, we're to treat other people the way we want to be treated. It's the golden rule that we hear about so much. And it really helps us understand how it is that I'm supposed to live my life. Okay? Jesus loved God, had this connection with him. But Jesus loved others. Jesus treated everybody the way he would want to be treated himself. He lived this out. And we're supposed to do the exact same thing. As Jesus treated his neighbors, he wanted to be treated. We need to treat other people the exact same way ourselves. That's when we're like Christ. So if I treat people in a way that I don't want to be treated, where is Christ in the Christian? Because I'm supposed to treat other people the way I want to be treated, but yet I lash out at people or I treat people in negative ways that are harmful ways. And that's not how Jesus lived his life. That's not a love that came out of a love for others. There's another command, a third command. In fact, John referred to a new command. Look at it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It said this, that the truth is seen in him, it's talking about Jesus, and in you, so that you can see this lived out. What is this new command? Jesus is the one who actually gave the new command. We find it in something that he said in John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, this is Jesus talking, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, everybody's gonna know you're a Christian. Everybody knows that you belong to God if you love others the way I love you. That was the command. The command was, right, love one another. Then he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the third command. Write it down. To love like Jesus loved. So how did Jesus love? Y'all follow me? I know I'm popping through some scripture here. But in the passage that we read at the beginning, where John wrote that we are to be like Jesus, it tells us how Jesus loved. It was found in verse 2. It's not going to be on the screen, but listen to what it said in verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is how Jesus loved. He made sacrifices for people who didn't deserve being sacrificed for. He made sacrifices for other people. He made sacrifices for the whole world, but it said he's the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. In other words, his love for us is not dependent on us doing good things. Therefore, because we do good things, he do, does good things for us. It's the opposite. When we do bad things, God does good things for us. That's what it looks like to love like Jesus. That's the difference. 
And that's what catches people, people's attention. It's easy to love somebody who loves us, but if somebody's a jerk to us and treats us poorly and we turn around and we make sacrifices for that person, give up something for the good of that person, even though they've been jerks to us, that person has the question in their mind, why in the world is this person treating me this way when I have treated them in this way? Why are they treating me this way? Why? Well, I'll give you the answer. It's because we love them like Jesus loved them, that we're showing our love toward them. It's, that's our problem in our world right now. It's easy for us to love people who we feel deserve love, but we don't wanna show love to people who, the, who we think don't deserve love, who treat us in negative ways, or are, are coming against us in very difficult ways. So the question is, how then do I live like Jesus? How do people know that I'm a Christian? It's because I am making sacrifices for people, no matter what they've done. That's what it looks like to be like Jesus. Y'all, is that hard or what? Or is it just me? It's hard, but if I'm gonna be serious about it, that's how I have to live. Second thing that we're gonna learn, second truth, here it is, that we're like Jesus when we're guided by the right feelings. So number two on your outline sheet, we're like Jesus when we're guided by the right feelings. The reason why Jesus was able to make sacrifices for people is because of the feelings that he had for those people. We hear about two different types of feelings that we can have in the scripture. Verses nine and 10, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. So there are two different feelings. Here's the first feeling. We can be guided by hate. That's what it said at the beginning. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. So we're being guided by hate. So what does hate look like? What hate is, is it, it's an intense passion or feeling of dislike for another person. So I want to give you some descriptions of what this hate looks like. Let's use that as the first uh, description of it. We dislike other people. On your outline sheet, we see it that we dislike them. That's what dislike is, passionate dislike for you. Why do I dislike you? I might dislike you because we're different people. We have different personalities. You irritate me. I don't, you know, there's just something about you that I don't like. And because of this difference in who we are, these differences, it causes us not to make the connection with each other. It might be I dislike you because of the way you treat me. You're doing things to hurt me, and because you're hurting me, I dislike you, and that dislike is causing me to push away from you. Here's the problem with dislike. When we dislike, we are detached. So the moment I begin to dislike another person, whether it's because of the differences, we don't appreciate the differences that they have with us, and for whatever reason, it's, you know, it's, it's hard for us to deal with them or because of their behavior, whatever it is, we begin to detach from each other. And this is the beginning of the problems in our world. When we stop dis, start disliking and detaching, we start working not for each other, but against each other. In fact, there's another description of hate. Not only do we dislike, but it also says this, that we want people to fail. We want them to fail. We don't want them to succeed. We want the worst for them. 
It's because they keep us from getting what we want. They keep us from being what we want to be. They keep us from doing what we want to do. For whatever reason, this person is getting in the way of me doing something with my life or feeling a certain way about myself. They're getting in the way. And because of that, I want them to fail. I want them to fail. This is the issue with sin. This is what happens in sin. When I start thinking about myself and my self-centeredness, I lash out toward other people who are causing me personal problems or issues. If they're keeping me from getting something that I want, being something I want, getting something that I want, like I just mentioned, we have a tendency to want to remove them out of the situation and to get them out of the way. We want them to fail because my life is about me. It's all about my success. It's all about what I can do to make my life better at the demise of you in many occasions. Here's something else about hate. Not only do we want people to fail, but we're hostile toward people. We, we become aggressive toward people. Sometimes we're passively aggressive toward people. We start talking badly about them, spreading rumors about them, whatever it may be. It's that passive type behavior. Sometimes it's outwardly aggressive behavior. We physically abuse someone else. We say things to people's faces that tear them down and make them feel terrible about who they are. It's hostility. Why? Because of how we feel about this person. I'm more important I'm putting you down, I'm protecting myself. Here's another part of this. Not only are we hostile, but we are unwilling. Because I don't have a connection with you, I feel these ways toward you, I want you to fail. I am unwilling to do anything to help you. I am unwilling to give up anything for your good or for your benefit. I'm not gonna do anything to help your life be better. All of that is hate. I just want you to think about this for a moment because doesn't that look like a lot of people in our world that we dislike each other because maybe we have different political views or because of personalities or because of something bad that they may have done to us or because of all that, we wanna come against them and want them to fail. We become hostile toward them and say bad things about them or do bad things to them to cause them to fail. And we are completely unwilling to do anything to help their lives be better whatsoever. Is it, the, is it just the world that I'm living in or does it sound like the world you're living in too, right? It's all around us. That's not like Jesus. Fortunately, there's another feeling. We can be guided by hate or we can be guided by love. And being guided by love is the complete opposite of this because being guided by love, the word love means this. As, as hate was a passionate dislike for other people, love is a passionate like for other people. So we like other people. Even though we might be different, we appreciate each other's differences. Even though we might have different personalities, it's okay. We appreciate the fact that we're created differently. It may be that they've done something to us to hurt us, but even though they've hurt us, we still like that person. We want the best for that person because we're not thinking about who they are and their bad behavior. Listen to this. We're thinking about who they could be if they behaved correctly. Did you hear what I just said? 
Our focus is on not the bad things that they're doing to us. Our focus is on who they could become if their behavior changed. We like them and we see that version of that person and we like that version of that person of who they could become. And it motivates us even though they've done things against us. Not only do we like in, in loving people, we do something else. We want people to succeed. Remember, in hate, we want them to fail. In love, we want them to succeed. And because we want them to succeed, it's the next statement down. Hopefully, it'll, there it goes. We want people to succeed. Because we want people to succeed, it leads to the next one. We're going to go ahead and fill the next one in, okay? That we're helpful toward them. Instead of us doing harmful things to them, Instead of us being hostile and aggressive toward them, whether it's passive or outwardly aggressive, we become helpful to them. And because we're helpful to them, look at this, we are willing. Now we're willing. We're willing to make sacrifices for them. We're willing to give up our time. We're willing to give up our resources, our money, our things that they need that would help them be better. We're willing to do all of that because we care about them and love them. That's who Jesus was to the point where he was willing to give up his very life for the people who were nailing him to the cross. Did you hear that? I mean, the very people who were hanging in there murdering this man on the cross, he's saying to God, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing. He was concerned about them that much. And that's what it looks like to be like Jesus. It's unconditional love. The people who become like him live lives of unconditional love. Okay, so first thing that we learn we gotta follow the commands, we gotta be like Jesus. We have to make sacrifices, why do we do it? It's the second thing that we've learned because we have this strong feeling toward people. We truly like people. We see the version, the best version of them when they live up to who God wants them to be. We see what they can be like and it drives us to help them and to give to them and to do whatever we can to help their lives be better. Number three, we're expected to do what Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? There were some specific things that he did. We read the statement that we are to do what Jesus did from John in verse six. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It said, must live as Jesus did. So how did he live? I wanna give you an example of how Jesus lived by looking at another scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter nine. It tells us what Jesus did, what his life was like. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is what, this is what Jesus' life this is what he did with his life. He went from place to place and he did these things. What's interesting to me about this is it tells us why he did what he did. He went from place to place and had compassion on them. Compassion is a form of love. In other words, love was the feeling that he had toward these people. He saw these people in these cities like people who didn't have a shepherd who were like sheep who didn't have a shepherd, which means, think about what sheep who like 
who don't have shepherds do, they go their own way and they get in trouble and do bad things. So when Jesus goes into these cities, he sees these sheep not living for God. They don't have a relationship with God, probably don't even know much about God. Some of them may not have known much about him. And here they are doing these things that are very self-centered in their life. They're just being guided and they're living their life without any guidance. And Jesus saw these people who were doing bad things and had compassion on them. Look at all these people doing all this bad stuff. Look at all these people not following a shepherd, not going the right direction in life. Those are the people that he liked. Those are the people that he cared about and that he was helpful toward. So what did he do? He did two things. First thing he did is he taught them. On your outline sheet, fill it in. He taught the people and he taught the people good news. The good news was the good news of the kingdom. What does that mean? The good news is that there is a kingdom that you can be a part of. This kingdom is the kingdom of God, the God who created you. This kingdom where God lives, where God resides, where God is over, this God loves you. He cares about you. He wants to protect you. He wants the best for you. He wants to provide for you. And you can have a relationship with that God. In fact, you can be a part of his kingdom. You can be a child of God. And I want to share with you how it is that you can become a part of God's kingdom. Y'all, is that good news right there or what? That's great news. I've been living my life doing what I've been doing because I love myself, going my own way, making all these bad decisions. And you're saying there's somebody out there who loves me, even though I do bad things. He wants the best for me. He wants a relationship with me. And I can have that relationship with him if I give my life to him. Y'all, that is great news. Jesus went everywhere to tell people that message. When he went to a city, that was the purpose that he went there is he wanted them to know God loves you you can become a part of the kingdom and here's how you do it. That's all he did in his message as he taught. But how did he win them over? Why did they start believing him? It's because the other thing that he did, he healed them. On your outline sheet, fill it in. He healed, healing every, every disease and sickness, it said. I want you to think about every disease and sickness. There are a lot of different diseases and sicknesses that we can have. I've shared this many times before, but there are five different parts of our life. That's our spiritual part of our life, which is our relationship with God. There's our mental part of our life where we make decisions that we think through something to make a decision. There's the emotional part of our life, how we feel about certain things. There's the social part of our life, how we interact with each other in our relationships with one another. And then there's the physical part of our life, how we are physically, whether we are well physically or not. We heal people in all of those areas of our lives. We serve people. We do things to minister to people who are emotionally sick to help them see that their life is important and that God loves them and that they have value, that their life has meaning, which much of our emotional sickness comes from that very sense of not having any sense of, of, of purpose in, in our lives. We minister to them. We serve. We heal people socially. You're having issues in relationships with other people. We're going to do things to help 
help you learn how you can come together in relationships. We help you mentally. You're making big decisions and those decisions are bad decisions because you haven't been thinking about them the right way and the correct way. I want to minister to you and to help you think through that, to help heal that part of your life that has become such a problem. The physical part, you're physically ill. I want to do everything I can to help physically help you in your time of need. He did all of those things. Why? Because they deserved it? No, they're not following a shepherd. They're doing their own thing. They're living their own way. He didn't do it to them because they deserved it. He did it because he cared about them. He liked them. He saw the best possibility of their future for them. And he wanted them to know that they were loved. So how did he do it? He gave of himself for the good of other people. We can't say we're like Jesus if we're not telling people that God loves them, that God wants to have a relationship with them and how they can have that relationship. We can't say we're like Jesus if we're not doing that because that's what he did. We can't say we're like Jesus if we are not actively serving and helping to meet the needs of people, whether they deserve it or not, to help them see that they're loved. In other words, to sacrifice our time, our resources, whatever it is that we need to do to help that person in their time of need. We can't say we're like Jesus unless we do those things. But this is what happens when we start doing those things. They don't understand why we're doing them those things for them when they've done nothing to deserve it and they begin to ask questions why are you doing this and it opens up the conversation of the good news about there's a God who loves you our service opens the eyes to people of God's love for them that's what it looks like to be like Jesus every day I'm supposed to be doing that fourth and final thing fourth way in which we're to be like Jesus this is what we learn we are expected to be light. We are expected, talk about this expectation, right? To be light, why? Because Jesus was light. In 1 John 2 verse eight, yet I am writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So we hear about darkness and light. Here's the second thing. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So we see this whole idea of, of light not being present. We also hear about Jesus being light himself. Jesus made a statement about himself being light. We find it in John chapter 8, verse 12. It says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if I'm to be like Jesus and Jesus is light, guess what? I'm to be a light to the world. What does that mean? A couple of quick things. First thing is that we overcome the whole idea of darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. It's wickedness or evil. In other words, wickedness or evil is all about self-centeredness. I'm thinking about me. I put myself before you and I will do what's best for me. That's wicked and evil. That's sin. That's self-centeredness. 
concealment or lack of knowledge or enlightenment. In other words, we don't let people see the truth about how it is that we're supposed to live. It's a lack of sight or blindness. We don't help them to realize how it is that we're supposed to live. In fact, that's the first statement on your sheet related to this. Let's fill it in, that we show the way. If I'm light, I am showing people the way. I'm showing them how it is that they're supposed to live their life. This is how you're supposed to live. Some people live like this. They live, live out of hate, out of dislike, hostility, want people to fail, unwilling to do everything. All right? That's how some people live. No. If I'm light, I am revealing to you. I am enlightening you about how it is that you're supposed to live. One of the things I love about Paul said, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, I think. He said this, follow the example, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's what he said. I love that statement about him. In other words, as Jesus is light, I am light to help you see this is how it is that you're supposed to live. Is there another part of it? We reveal and don't conceal. What does that mean? We reveal God's love and we don't keep it hidden. A couple of weeks ago, there was a big ruling uh, from the Supreme Court about Roe versus Wade. And uh, after that happened, uh, happened two or three days, I guess, before the weekend. And um, I didn't say anything about that that weekend. A uh, couple of reasons. One is it had absolutely nothing to do with the message that I was sharing with you that day, okay? And I didn't just want to just say something just to be saying something. And the second thing is, is I wasn't sure what I was going to, what I should say. To be honest with you, I didn't know what I should say. Um, I hadn't had enough time to process and think through how do we respond to this? Because a lot of people in the Christian community especially came out and made some big boisterous loud statements about Roe versus Wade and, and, and all of this. So I didn't say anything that week. I was on vacation last week. Yay. Uh, Brian did a great job. Always does, right? Yeah, we're so grateful for Brian. Yeah. But it gave me like another week to just kind of be processing this and thinking through this. I, I mean, I read a bunch of stuff, talked to Jennifer a lot about all of this, what was going on. And it's like, what, what, what do you do? What do you, what do you say? I mean, what... So then I kept coming back to what this whole message is today. What would Jesus do? What is it that Jesus would do in a situation like this? Y'all, I, I just want you to understand, I believe in life. I'm that, that's me, okay? I'm that kind of person. Uh, I, I'm a pro-life person. Um, I know other Christian people who uh, are not. I know other Christian people who've had abortions, uh, who struggle through all of this. So I have personal connections with people. Some people are Christians who just completely believe in choice. People who are close to me. I mean, people that I'm really close to who had these feelings about this. So I started thinking about, you know, what would Jesus do in a situation like this? And this started, I started thinking about, uh, about the adulterous woman. And it's cool because the scripture that I just read to you in John chapter eight, verse 12, which says this, I am the light of the world. It just said that. 
immediately preceding that verse is the story about the adulterous woman. So he talks about the adulterous woman, and then he turns around and says, I am the light of the world. Here's what happened with the adulterous woman. This woman's caught in adultery. The religious people got, they took this, they brought this woman to Jesus. So there's a crowd of people around with Jesus. Okay, there are several people there, obviously. And they ask Jesus, they say, the, the, the law says that this person should be put to get death. What do you say? The whole reason for them to do this was to get him to say something that was against the law. They were trying to trap this man to condemn him. That's what they were trying to do. That was the whole purpose and whole reason for this. And they're using this adulterous woman to do it. So they say this to Jesus. Law says this, put her to death. What do you say? Jesus kneels down. He starts writing in the sand. And after he's writing in the sand uh, for a moment, he looks up and he asks the question or, or makes the statement, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. That's what he said. And then he looks down again and he starts writing in the sand. So he's writing and writing and writing. And then the scripture tells us this, uh, from old to young, these people started leaving. The men started leaving. Older men first, all the way to the young. So he looks back up and none of them are there anymore. The only person who's there is the adulterous woman. It's the only one's there. So he asked her, where do they go? And this is the way he said it. Where are your condemners? Where are those who are condemning you? Just like they've left. And he looked and he said, nor do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want you to think about this. Jesus had a large group of people together. There's a group of people together. There's this woman who's in adultery, who's done something wrong, which for many was a perfect opportunity for Jesus to preach a sermon about how terrible adultery is and how awful it is to commit adultery, which he could have easily done that to the people. But he didn't do that. Because Jesus, his life was not about judgment. Jesus's life is about forgiveness. Jesus's life is not about condemnation. Jesus's life is about us overcoming our issue. And I love how, what he said to these guys, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. In other words, okay, I could preach a message about how evil this person is, but next week it's going to be about you right? Next week, your sin is going to be the topic of discussion, and we're going to condemn you. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus brought reality to the fact is, y'all, we are all sinners saved by grace. Do I have a witness out there from anybody? And we need somebody who loves us even though we're sinners, and we need somebody who would spend time with us individually to help us see that they love us and don't condemn us. I, I, it's such a fine line. I, I get it. And there have been plenty. I mean, you're, you're supposed to stand up for the truth of what you believe in. Y'all, I believe that. This, you're not supposed to change your belief just because somebody disagrees with you. I believe that, Okay. But I also believe this, no person should feel condemned and judged because how I respond to people if they have a different opinion than me. No one should feel that way. Here's the thing for me. 
There are people that I know who've had abortions that are Christian people that I love. I want them to know that they're loved. There are Christian people that I know who have not had abortions before, who believe in free choice and right, whatever, that they believe in that. These people will say to you, and they're Christians, they're Christians, this, and this is why they believe what they believe. This is the way it is. How do you deal with that? All I can think of is Jesus had a personal conversation with someone who had a problem and didn't throw them under the bus in front of a bunch of other people. That's what Jesus did. This has been weighing heavily on me. Can y'all, do you sense it? It's been weighing heavily on me because 15 years ago, I'd have been screaming and shouting, probably in a very judgmental and condemning way. And it's amazing what happens when you grow, when you start meeting people who are struggling and dealing with the very things that you're condemning and shouting about, how it changes how you feel about things. I mean, we're in search for the truth of love, right? I mean, that, that's why we're, we're in search for the truth. I love this about Jesus. He said, nor do I condemn you, go and sin no more. This woman obviously realized and came to know that what she had done was not right. Because Jesus could say, it, it's sin. You know it's sin. Don't do it anymore because of a conversation that he had with a person. I just feel like Jesus would wanna sit down with somebody who had a completely different philosophy of him about abortion or uh, what other radical issues of social justice or whatever you might think about. I just, just and maybe I'm wrong, okay? This is all I see in the scripture. I see no evidence of Jesus getting up in a congregation and condemning anybody. All I see is Jesus showing love to people who didn't deserve to be loved. That's all I see him do with the scripture. The one time he got ticked off in the scripture and threw people out of the, the temple because they were money changers is because they were a bunch of religious Christian people or people out there who believed in God who were making money off of God and he stood up for God. That's what he did. They were religious people who knew better than to be this way. And it caused him to have this conviction to share that message. But when we're talking with people who have issues in their life, where it may be sin, it might be an issue in their life, we need to be people who can sit down and have a conversation with them. This is so cool. I'm, I'm almost done. Some of you are thinking, oh, please hurry and be done, okay? Um, I brought this up at staff meeting on Thursday because I hadn't said anything in church about it, I hadn't really been around. Y'all, we had the most incredible conversation in staff meeting on Thursday, because I just brought it up. It's like, y'all, this is the issue. I haven't said anything, I said it. I haven't said anything in church about it. This is what I'm thinking. I wanna hear what you think. And it's amazing to me, as we sat around at that table, to hear people who also know people who have different beliefs about it, who are Christians, or may have gone through abortions themselves, have the very same sensitivity, sensitivity toward people that they knew and cared about who wanted to help people deal with this issue. I came out of that meeting, I thought, oh. one of them said, this should have been a podcast for the whole church to be able to listen to this whole conversation. And I thought, you know, that, that would have been really cool just to be able to hear us all talk about this. It really stinks being a pastor sometimes, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Because there's expectation of, 
be up there and do this and do this. And there are plenty, and I'm not condemning people who've done, if God told them to get up and say something a certain way in a way, who am I to judge? Hey, that's it. All I know is I don't want somebody to come into this place who's struggling with sin to feel worse about themselves as far as being judged and unloved when they leave. Every person, no matter what sin you have in your life, God still loves you. Isn't that amazing? He still loves you. No matter what belief you may be had, no matter what political party you're from, no matter what ideology you have, God still loves you. And when we start treating each other lovingly, it might be that we can start having some conversations and people actually have changes of heart because of the love that we show to people who disagree with us. The, the sad thing about what's happening in the Christian community, to me, this is just what I, I believe about it, is we're emboldening people to have an even harder stance against God because of the way we're treating them. Let's have a conversation. You know, let's, let's get it out on the table. I'd love to know why you feel like this is okay or, or maybe I haven't thought of things in a certain way. Maybe there's a different way of thinking this, but what I want you to know is I want the best for you no matter what you've done or who you are because God loves all of us and I do bad things just like everybody else. You wanna know what they are? I'm not telling you, okay? Because I don't wanna be the subject of the sermon next weekend. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Are you like Jesus? That's the thing, this is the expectation to be like Jesus. Are we people who are living out of hate or living out of love? Because they're different, we dislike them, we're hostile toward them, we're all these things, we have these feelings toward them and we're unwilling to do things to help people because of how we feel about them because their disagreement or behavior, whatever else. Or are we like Jesus? This is very convicting to me today and I just would encourage you today to ask God to lead you to be like Jesus, to teach the good news, the kingdom of God, to help people in their places and time of need and to have conversation with people who might disagree with us to help them understand what we believe is truth to be the best for them. It might be that you're not a Christian today. God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you Again, no matter what you've done, the Bible tells us if we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, we'll be saved. We'll be saved from a life separated from God. We'll be saved from a life outside of the kingdom. We'll be a part of it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we pray and confess what we've done wrong, that's what we do. If we accept that Jesus died for us on the cross, that he gave his life for us to die in the place of our sins. If we accept what he did for us, we're, we, we're saved. And we would love to help you do that today. If you're not a Christian, today is the day of salvation. I would just encourage you to pray something like this to God. Dear God, I know you love me. I don't deserve it. I need you. I thank you for your love. I know I've done things wrong. I've sinned and I'm sorry. I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. 
and to give his life so that I may be forgiven. And I accept what you did, Jesus, for me. I confess to you that you are mine and I commit to follow you as my Lord. If you pray something like that and mean it, God hears you and says yes to you. The end of the service, back to my, back, uh, to my right, to your left, there's a single door with a glass window. We have someone back there right now. We'd love to talk with you and help you if you're struggling with this decision or if there's something that you're going through. If you wanna become a member of our fellowship, you wanna be baptized, any of those things, head there, we'd love to help you this morning. It might be that you're a believer today and I wanna encourage you to pray as I pray to make the commitment that every day you'll be like Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've taught. Thank you for teaching me. God, thank you for the journey over these last two weeks of just struggling through all of this and trying to figure out what you would do. And God, I pray that that would just always be my motivation, that I would do what you would want me to do. And God, I know that there are times that that is not the case. And I'm sorry for those times. I'm sorry for hurtful things that I may have said to people who disagree with me out of judgment and condemnation instead of saying things out of love and kindness. God, I pray that you would lead me to be the example, the light that I need to be in this dark world. I thank you for what you're gonna do because of our willingness to be like Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.